You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, The Sounds of the Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. Introducing our Pigeon Radio Australia presenter and executive producer of the show, Ivan Fonti. of Pigeon Radio Australia brought to you here on this great little community radio station in Melbourne, Australia 88.3 Southern FM The Sounds of the Bayside We have a great show for you today because pigeons were released from the War Memorial on Thursday for Armistice Day So because the pigeons were released we're pretty proud that uh, Pigeon Radio Australia started all this talk about the pigeons at war and today we're going to do an entire program dedicated to the pigeons of the wartime. So stay tuned and on with the show. Today's show, we're going to honour the uh, pigeons at war. Little or no people know that uh, racing pigeons were used in both world wars, World War One and World War Two. And in Australia, we've got two pigeons that are decorated war heroes who have received the Dickon Medal. The Dickon Medal is the equivalent of the Victoria Cross for animals who served in the war. Uh, Last year, Pigeon Radio Australia started an initiative while we were in lockdown and we still weren't on air on Southern FM 88.3, Sounds of the Bayside. Uh, we were waiting to get an OK to go to air on Southern FM, but we still weren't there. So we were having podcasts. We were doing podcasts on the internet and uh, I had an idea that um, 
we were all in lockdown and we weren't allowed to basically go nowhere because of the COVID. So I thought, well, we should do something for Anzac Day. We haven't got the radio program running on a radio station. Uh, we need some attention with the pigeons and um, we need to make people realise that the pigeons are not just rats of the sky as people refer to them or pests in the city. So I thought that uh, everybody in lockdown that has racing pigeons should let their birds go at sunrise on Anzac Day and that they can video that release of their birds from their home and send it in to me and we were going to make a collage video of all the people that uh, released their pigeons for Anzac Day. Now, I made a media announcement on, I did a press release and I also did a uh, media announcement on Facebook and Twitter and the response was enormous. I got uh, phone calls from radio stations all over Australia uh, interested in what we were doing. Uh, I had a special interview in the Age newspaper. It was quite exciting and it was, it was great being in lockdown and being in the depression mode that we could do something to make people aware of the pigeons that served in the war and also uh, people aware of our great sport of pigeon racing. So to start the show off this morning, I thought that uh, we re revisit 2020. Let's have a listen to an interview I did on ABC Radio the day before Anzac Day in April of 2020. At 16 past six, good morning, everybody. We're going to be talking about pigeons soon. Yep, I'm going there. So if you have a forceful opinion about pigeons, now is the chance to join the discussion. One three hundred triple two seven seven four, or text zero four three seven 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 four seven seven four. Pigeons. Hmm. Rats of the sky or vermins of the street? If you think either of these things, you're wrong, according to Ivan Fonti, member of the Racing Pigeon Network. Good morning, Ivan, or shall I call you Ivan? Ivan. You can call me Ivan. I, was just, I thought Ivan sounded a little bit more mysterious, Ivan. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it's a bit more mysterious. They call me Ivan the Terrible down the club. <gasps> what do your pigeons call you, though? Pigeons, oh, they like me. Well, they, they they don't call me names. <laughs> Seriously, though, I know a lot of people listening right now are going, Ivan, Ivan, mate, pigeons, they're gross. Don't look after them, don't care for them. What is it about pigeons, Ivan, that you think should be celebrated? Well, celebrated, uh, first of all, we owe uh, our freedoms to a couple of pigeons in Australia. Uh, we've got two pigeons in Australia that are decorated war heroes. They have received the equivalent of the Victoria Cross for Animals, which is the Dickon Medal. And one of the birds was wounded on his fly-in between Australia and Papua New Guinea. And he actually delivered a message, that bird, which saved that, that unit and recovered supplies they needed for the war at the time. Hang on, when, when, how far back are we going here? We're going back to the Second World War. Second World War, and sorry, so this pigeon actually genuinely had a message 
strapped yep. to its what to, to its leg? Where, where do you yeah, put it to its leg? Yeah, to its leg in a capsule in, on its leg. Yep. Is, sorry, Ivan, forgive my scepticism. Is this like an urban myth, or this is this legit? This really, no, really happens. No, this is this is really happening. The actual pigeons have been. They, they put them to the taxidermist and, and they have them at the Australian War Memorial. And at the moment, our, well, I've got a radio program which is called Pigeon Radio Australia and we've uh, started up a petition to petition the Australian War Memorial to put these birds up on display so that people can see them when they go in there because they don't have them on display. They have them in the back room somewhere. But, yeah, we're trying to get the birds on display down there. Ivan, was this common, like, I've, I know pigeons have been used for creative purposes. Is it Was it more common than I clearly realise in wartime to in use wartime, pigeons as messengers? Uh, pigeons were used by all sides in wartime. The Japanese used them, the Germans used them, and then they were training falcons to catch the uh, the enemy pigeons. So, like, the Nazis would, ch- <laughs> would train pigeons to catch, like, uh, Australian pigeons or English pigeons or American pigeons. There was a full second-tier bird war happening the whole yeah, time. Yeah, there was. Yep, yep, there was. And were the pigeons that Australian forces used, I'm assuming what they were trained in Australia and transported with the troops? They were trained in Australia, yes. In Queensland, they had a training station, and also they had a training station in Papua New Guinea as well. And, and, how... the, and, and the pigeon lofts at the time were mobile, so you could move them around. Okay, so how long does it take to get a, a pigeon from normal pigeon to wartime pigeon? I, I like training, training Oh, look, wise. it wouldn't take long. It's the same as how we train them for racing. It would be exactly the same. Um, you breed your, your young birds. Uh, when your young birds are around th- uh, three to four months old, they're ready to be trained. So then you start training them on the road. So you take them out, uh, you start them off at around 10 kilometres, and you just increase the kilometres until you get to about 50 to 100 kilometres and the pigeons are returning home quite easily. And, um, yeah, that's how easy it is. So after about six months old, the pigeon's ready to race. So they can go from 100 kilometres anywhere up to 600 kilometres. So uh, 600 miles, I should say, <laughs> not kilometres, 1,200 kilometres. Hey, it's still yeah. bloody fast, Ivan. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Tell me, is it? how long does a pigeon have to be in one spot before it knows that's the spot to return to? Oh, look, when you breed them, like I breed them at my place and then I put them into the race loft, um, they're homed. They're, the babies are homed. Now, if you want to home those babies to somebody else's place, you, as soon as you wean them over from the nest, you uh, take them to whoever wants to have them and um, they put them uh, in their loft and have them in there for about three to four weeks and they'll be ready to let out and they'll be home to that house. <laughs> You've probably heard this a million times, Ivan, but Chris has just texted in, just sold my favourite homing pigeon on eBay for the 22nd time. Oh. Good on you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I'm chatting to Ivan Fonte, member of the Racing Pigeon Network. Uh, Ivan, stay with me. Jim from the Mornington Peninsula is on the line. Good morning, Jim. Morning, Sammy. How are you this morning? Great, thank you. Are you your pigeon uh, fancier? Uh, no, no. A little story about pigeons in the in the war, though. My yeah. grandfather was in the First World War, and in August of 1918, he and his company captured a little place called Morkel, um on the Somme. And uh, having captured that, they put a uh, little message um, attached to a pigeon's leg and sent it back to head office or to headquarters. The fact that they captured this town with 120 Germans was described as a dry affair, so there were no casualties. And then in the 1950s, he and his uh, two sons were at the War Memorial in uh, in Canberra, 
and the message is actually still held in the archives in uh, in grandfather's original writing a little pink slip with the uh, with the message that Morcor had been captured so that was all transmitted back by a pigeon. That is unreal. Jim, have you got a photo of the message, a replica or anything that you can look uh, at yourself? My, yeah, my uncle does, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, it, it's extraordinary. That is amazing. I'd love you to email it through to us if you can. I'd love to see it. I will. Thanks, Jim. Hey, Ivan, this is... this is. I'm thinking of all modern warfare and drones and everything. Do pigeons still get used? And if not, should they still be used? Well, in Switzerland, Sammy, there's a... Uh there's still a pigeon corps in, in Switzerland. They've got uniforms and everything. So if a war broke out, they'd be using the pigeons straight away. There's also a pigeon corps in China as well. They've got uh, one over there because, they actually, as everybody knows, pigeon racing has absolutely exploded in China. It's gone crazy. It was banned for a long time. and uh, I didn't know that. Now I feel stupid. You said everyone well, knows that, Ivan. Well, yes, <laughs> everybody should know it because it's been all over the all over the radio and everything else because... Last year, there was a pigeon sold to China for 1.25 million euro. Wow. And then did it fly <laughs> straight home afterwards again, like our eBay joke? No, that pigeon went to China and it's now in a breeding loft and it's paired up to another bird that was paid nearly a million euro for and they call it the million dollar couple now. So, yeah, see if they breed any winners. We don't know. We'll see. Hey, Ivan, <laughs> tomorrow, of course, is Anzac Day. You've got something... What would you normally be doing on Anzac Day and, and how have you had to adjust? Well, normally on Anzac Day, I'd get my uh, few of my club mates together and we'd go up to, well, I live in Melton, we'd go up to the um, memorial here in Melton in High Street with the RSL and uh, we'd be joining the dawn service and at, at sunrise we'd be letting up pigeons from the dawn service. But this year, as we all are in lockdown and everything else, uh, there won't be a dawn service, so... I was sitting back and thinking about what we could do and I come up with the concept that we, that all pigeon fancies in every area of Australia let their birds up at sunrise in recognition of Anzac Day and our diggers and solidarity and also a sign of peace because pigeons are a sign of peace as well. Has, has the word got around? Or will there be some Oh, some yeah, pigeons? the word's got around. Like we, we've um, sent out text messages to all the clubs and federations in Australia and they've all taken it on board. Uh, text messages went out yesterday to all members of Racing Pigeons in Australia and uh, it looks like everybody will be doing it. So I'd, I'd urge everybody that don't, doesn't have pigeons to look up into the skies at sunrise uh, on, tomorrow morning and you'll see mobs of pigeons flying around. Like, we've got about 30 members here in Melton, so you imagine 30 people letting up 100 birds at a time. Ivan, when you let off a bird, mm. if it's coming from home anyway, how far does it go? Like, is, is like a, it just knows well, you can have a little flap around and come back? How far will they, how long no, will they spend no, in the no, sky? No, 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 they'll travel up. Well, I'm hoping tomorrow morning what will happen is that when the birds are let up, they'll all join up together and you'll have a big cloud of pigeons flying around in the sky over your area. This is great, although, Ivan, I'm sensing one final problem here. We've also been encouraged to play the last post in our driveways. What if all the music freaks out the pigeons and no, things go no, haywire? No, birds and pigeons love music. Yeah. My wife breeds show budgies and she's got the radio. Well, she's got you playing in her budgie room at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've been wanting to get your wife up for another in the club. You've been a pleasure, Ivan. All the best for tomorrow and thank you so much for joining with your Thanks stories. Thanks for having of... me, Sammy. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. Ivan Fonty, their member of the Racing Pigeon Network, of which I must learn more. I feel like in the club each week is just pretty much setting myself homework to discover more things. Pigeons. War. Who knew? 
to February 1942. Bathurst Island sent a message through. There's a big formation and they're bearing down. From the northwest, headed straight for Darwin Town. Down beside the wharf They hit the USS Peary And the oil stores The Neptune went up In a ball of flame The black smoke rose When the zeros came We've got smoking barrels On the LMGs Man the pickers grab your 303s We're on the ropes But we'll give them hell Darwin rubble When the first bombs fell On the Esplanade, the family died in the surprise attack, but the AA batteries were fighting back. The second wave unloaded on the aerodrome, machine guns rattled and bombs exploded, hangers blazing as the shrapnel flies. Australian skies we've got smoking barrels on the LMGs Remember Vickers grab your three Southern FM. For all your pigeon requirements, head to Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies. We make our own range of pigeon carry baskets, bird breeding cages and boxes. We're one of Melbourne's largest suppliers of quality seed, feed and more. You'll find health supplements, minerals and grits for pigeons and other breeds. Visit Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies at our retail shop in Apex Court, Thomastown or phone 9464 2439. Southern FM sponsor. Keep your pigeons healthy with Applied Nutrition Australia, number one for all-in-one bird supplements. Tummy Right for Pigeons is a nutritional supplement for racing pigeons to support proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract. The Applied Nutrition range of products is made in Australia and sold factory direct to you. 
For top quality products formulated by Australia's leading animal and avicultural nutritionist, visit appliednutrition.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. Your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Tara Meat. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Taramid Stock Feed and Farming Supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Toulon Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484 340 551. Southern FM Sponsor. Do you want to keep your birds flying high? Rod Stock Feed and Bird Supplies has everything you need. A wide variety of pigeon mixes, avian mixes, grits, mineral blocks and health supplements. Plus a large range of loft and racing equipment. Phone Rod Churchill on 0409 416 794 or contact Petstock Terelgan. Rod Stock Feed and Bird Supplies is a proud supporter of Pigeon Radio Australia. Southern FM sponsor. Natural Pigeon Products are the Australian distributors for Rhonefried Pigeon Products. Rhonefried, a German-based company, is a leading manufacturer of world-class, premium, European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeons' inner health all year round. Contact Natural Pigeon Products on 035-998-1000 and pigeonvitality.com.au Southern FM Sponsor Hi, Matt Welsh here. In Australia, drowning is one of the biggest killers of kids under five. So take a few minutes to check your pool barrier set for this summer. Visit kidsafe.com.au to find out how. Because safe barriers save lives. Hi, I'm Vanessa Lowe, long jump gold medalist and world record holder. When I was 15, I was waiting to catch my train. In a split second, my life changed. As the train arrived, the crowd surged forward. I was too close to the platform edge, lost my balance and fell into the path of the oncoming train. I was in a coma for two weeks and it took two years to walk again. So please, stand back, look up and stay rail safe. Your voice in the community, 88.3 Southern FM. This is DDZ, your captain speaking. Tune in every Wednesday at 2pm. Travel the world, musically speaking. From the Eiffel Tower to the Rialto. From the Colosseum to the Pyramids. From the London Bridge to Golden Gate. Tune in every Wednesday, 2pm, for International Caravan with your captain, DDZ. G'day, hello and g'day. My name's Josh Gatt and I'm inviting you to come and hang out with me at my show, Bluestone Sounds. It's Wednesdays, 12 to 2 p.m. and I showcase the very best in new Australian independent music from punk to folk to indie. Anything goes as long as you can see it in a filthy band room. Bluestone Sounds. It's Wednesdays, 12 to 2 p.m. Catch you there. You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. Stop the pigeon, 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 stop 
you're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. And our website address at Southern FM is www.southernfm.com.au. And if you want to go directly to the Pigeon Radio website, our website address for Pigeon Radio Australia is www.pigeonmedia.com.au. And you can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, all social media, and we also podcast via the Podbean Network. So look us up on the Mr. and Mrs. Google machine and just go and search Pigeon Radio Australia and uh, you'll find every link that's available that links to us on the internet. And continuing our tribute to the racing pigeons of the war years, we have a special piece from the ABC Radio in 1988. And it was a show called The Sports Factor on ABC Radio. Goes to show that pigeon racing is a sport after all. And uh, they've had an interview with Captain Herbert Thomas Burt Cornish, officer commanding of Pigeon Company, the remarkable pigeon man who instigated the service. So let's have a listen to The Sports Factor from 1988 with a... uh, Special interview with Captain Herbert Thomas Burt Cornish of the Australian Pigeon Corps. Today, for Anzac Day, a little-known chapter in our war history, when the special skills and knowledge of chaps who raced pigeons were called on for army service. Three, two, one, go! Go to a crater, go! Honey, you'll hurt yourself. And a Also on the Sports Factor, we'll take a look at how motorcycle racers learn their sport and meet champion Australian swimmer Ian Thorpe, a world record holder at just 16. Now in previous years on this program, around Anzac Day, we've talked about various ways that sports have figured in WWs 1 and 2, like the cricket match that was played on Gallipoli during the Allied evacuation in 1915, as well as the victory tests of 1945. But here's another rather unusual deployment of a sport in wartime. At the start of the Second World War, Captain Bert Cornish, a keen pigeon racer, lobbied to establish an Australian Army Pigeon Corps to be based in New Guinea. Captain Cornish put out the call for fellow racers and their birds to join up. Well, initially I was the Foundation Secretary of the Racing Pigeon Union of Australia and as such, with my experience with the pigeons, I was convinced that despite all the modern equipment in those days in the way of signal equipment, that pigeons could be a useful means of communication for the Second World War. They were used because it was found that the prescribed methods that are used of line communication and wireless was very susceptible to the tropical conditions and many, many failures in communication took place due to the, uh, well, the exigencies of the service. And pigeons uh, ultimately were used because uh, we were never at any stage called upon to put our messages into cipher. So for short distances they became the fastest means of communication and a very reliable means, which proved to be. They were firstly utilised basically with established base lofts 
large lofts on the coastline at Moresby, Milne Bay, etc. And those lofts were static and the pigeons were taken out from there uh, with water transport groups that might be go two or three hundred miles to the islands and if they get into trouble, if they uh, copped a shell from the Japs or they got on a reef or something like that, their only means of communication would be pigeons because they would be too scared to use wireless because that would be picked up by the enemy. So the pigeons were used to a large extent in the early stages with the water transport groups. Bert Cornish and his story about establishing the AIF Pigeon Service during the Second World War. Just to get back to basics, though, what is it that makes pigeons have this homing instinct, which is, after all, the basis of the sport of pigeon racing, as well as their usefulness as message carriers? Well, firstly, they have a great love of home. They are uh, very susceptible to change. I mean, uh, once you start racing, you don't alter your loft in any way. The perching and the nesting is left the same so that each bird has its uh, special spot that they like to go to and rest in. And uh, those, They are creatures of habit. They're very susceptible to colour. Uh, if you repaint the loft in the middle of a season, it disturbs them immensely. But they have... Uh, well, I, I believe that they have a a very sensitive inbuilt, for want of a better word, radar system that they tune into sympathetic wavelengths and uh, in this respect they use the sun a lot in this regard. They get their best results when the sun is up and they're able to uh, get their bearings. In New Guinea, Captain Cornish and his men spent a lot of time training and conditioning these pigeons. After all, they couldn't afford to let one of them go down and lose the vital message. Well, nothing's good enough. I mean, you've got to be sure in your mind when you send a pigeon that you have done everything possible to get it into the peak of physical condition. And once you get them into that peak of physical condition, it is amazing just what they will do. They will fly non-stop all day from daylight till dark without food or water and still have energy left at the end of the day and they only weigh 16 ounces. But if they're not conditioned properly, then they go down due to to exhaustion and uh, look for feed and look for water. Look for water first because the first thing that happens to them is they start to dehydrate with the enormous amount of energy that they, they put into their flying. So they've really got to be super fit. Now, while even 60 years ago getting pigeons to carry war messages seemed a pretty archaic way of doing things, pigeons had, of course, been used for centuries in this role. Well, it goes back a long way, and uh, probably uh, my facts are not all complete, but as my knowledge of the situation unfolds, I believe that they were used in the Siege of Troy as a message-carrying agency, Reuters news agency, I do know, started with carrier pigeons. That's how they started their, their famous news agency, with carrier pigeons. And for centuries, the Chinese have been using them. The warlords, etc., have been using carrier pigeons for centuries in China. So it's not a, a new conception at all. It's been going on for a long time. And, of course, naturally, when you're so interested in a sport and uh, you know what the abilities of these birds, the wonderful things they can do. Obviously, uh, if you're at all 
interested in your country and with the Second World War coming on, um, we felt that uh, it was very important to convince the powers that be that pigeons could be a useful means of uh, communication when we became involved. But how did others in the Army, fellow officers, respond to Captain Cornish's idea to establish this Army Pigeon Service? Not very well. <laughs> Not very well. I must say that there were some very understanding uh, senior officers. Uh, they were in the minority. But they did give me the opportunity to indoctrinate the other officers in the services by means of lectures, etc. And uh, I found that uh, for the first few months my main activity was uh, virtually being a salesman for the whole thing. But uh, we overcame that and uh, we got a lot of sympathy and a lot of understanding uh, eventually, particularly when we were able to perform and prove to them that it was not something that came out of the ark and should be back in the ark, but something that was really practical and uh, gave excellent results. The pigeon fanciers generally uh, from the country districts and the cities uh, responded to my call for uh, assistance and many thousands of pigeons were donated. Now we took a lot of those to New Guinea but that was a, a rather costly lesson in that they were coming out of a climate say from Victoria for instance which is comparatively cool climate up into the tropics and immediately their whole system is disrupted. They couldn't stand the conditions, they uh, go into a second molt and uh, everything went wrong. So I very quickly uh, got the thought that the only way to successfully continue would be to establish our own breeding lofts in the tropics, breed our young pigeons and train them up there for service and that was uh, entirely successful. Beyond the war in the Pacific, pigeons also served in Europe, including during the landing at Normandy in 1944. Well, there was uh, the Allies, um, Eisenhower and co, established a complete wireless silence for at least 48 hours. And the only means of communication was the use of carrier pigeons and hundreds of pigeons daily were coming back with messages giving exact positions of the landings, the success or otherwise of the landing, and that was the only means of communication that they had back to England. Back in Australia, two pigeons in the service that Bert Cornish established were awarded the avian equivalent of the Victoria Cross for their Pacific War service. One was uh, in the Admiralties, where uh, a number of American personnel, their lives were saved due to the message getting through in time for action to be taken to relieve them. And I think the other one was in the Maffin Bay area. And these were the Dickens medals which were uh, presented after the war. And um, now, of course, those Dickens medals uh, have a pride of place in the Australian War Museum. was Bert Cornish, Captain Cornish, who established the AIF Pigeon Service during the Second World War.
my thanks to Maurice Cratchley, who recorded that material with Bert Cornish in 1989. Bert's still alive and well, turns 90 this year, and still racing pigeons with the Karingai Homing Pigeon Society, which he also established back in 1927. And on Radio National, this is the Sports Factor. I'm Amanda Smith. Southern FM. The sounds of the Bayside. Drove her drifting over western plains He's a city lad, a clock down Flinders Lane They're in the trenches at Lone Pine And on the Flanders firing line A wheeling band of ordinary men He's all of them He's one of
Natural Pigeon Products are the Australian distributors for Rhonefried Pigeon Products. Rhonefried, a German-based company, is a leading manufacturer of world-class, premium, European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeons' inner health all year round. Contact Natural Pigeon Products on 035-998-1000 and pigeonvitality.com.au Southern FM Sponsor do you want to keep your birds flying high? Rod Stock Feed and Bird Supplies has everything you need. A wide variety of pigeon mixes, avian mixes, grits, mineral blocks and health supplements. Plus a large range of loft and racing equipment. Phone Rod Churchill on 0409 416 794 or contact Petstock Terelgan. Rod Stock Feed and Bird Supplies is a proud supporter of Pigeon Radio Australia. Southern FM sponsor. Keep your pigeons healthy with Applied Nutrition Australia, number one for all-in-one bird supplements. Tummy Right for Pigeons is a nutritional supplement for racing pigeons to support proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract. The Applied Nutrition range of products is made in Australia and sold factory direct to you. For top quality products formulated by Australia's leading animal and avicultural nutritionist, visit appliednutrition.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. Your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Tara Meat. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Tara Meat stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Tulin Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484-340-551. Southern FM sponsor. For all your pigeon requirements, head to Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies. We make our own range of pigeon carry baskets, bird breeding cages and boxes. We're one of Melbourne's largest suppliers of quality seed, feed and more. You'll find health supplements, minerals and grits for pigeons and other breeds. Visit Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies at our retail shop in Apex Court, Thomastown or phone 94642439. Southern FM sponsor. I loved your way with words. You knew your type. I considered myself a bit quirty. You'd plug me in and tap away. Now you're bored of my keys. I'm not your childhood sweetheart. I'm your old computer keyboard. With National Recycling Week starting November 8th, give me and old mate Mousy a second shot at life. But don't just put us in your normal recycling bin. Search National Recycling Week to find out more. Papa, when we go see the twins, can we go down to the lake? Only if Kate's with you. Or Mum and I are there too. What are you sighing about? I can swim. I know you can. You're a very good swimmer. But are you forgetting the five? How can I forget the five? You make me say it ten times a day. Slight exaggeration. Fence the pool, shut the gate. Teach your kids to swim, it's great. Supervise, watch your mate, and learn how to resuscitate. Supervise, Harper, supervise. I'm Laurie Lawrence, kids alive. Do the five. Hi there, it's me, Graham the Garden Gnome. If you want to know everything about where I live in your garden, listen in to Molly's Blooming Hour every Saturday at 4pm. Only here on 88.3 Southern FM. <laughs> Thank you. 
Fancy a tipple or a taste? G'day, I'm Pete Dillon. Join me on Grazing every Thursday between 2 and 4pm as we celebrate the world of food, drink and travel. You'll meet interesting guests from around the corner and around the world. Let's graze together every Thursday here on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. Just fly, fly away And I always knew I couldn't stay So I had a dream that I'd just fly away You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia On 88.3 Southern FM The sounds of the Bayside And I always knew You're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. And our website address at Southern FM is www.southernfm.com.au. And continuing our tribute to the pigeons at war, last or in 2020 on Anzac Day, we also had an interview with ABC Radio National in Sydney. So let's have a listen to the uh, topic of pigeons at war on ABC Radio in Sydney with myself. You're listening to Drive with Josh Zepps on ABC Radio Sydney. Tomorrow is Anzac Day, a time to think and pay our respects to all people who have sacrificed in Australia's wars. But not just people. Other animals have also contributed to Australia's war effort, one such animal being the indispensable pigeon. How exactly? Ivan Fonte is from Pigeon Radio Australia. G'day, Ivan. G'day, how are you? I'm wonderful. What role have pigeons played in wartime? Pigeons, pigeons in Australia, particularly in Australia, have played a major role in the First World War and Second World War. In the both World Wars, we had pigeon corps set up in Australia. And, um, pigeon what? Sec- pigeon pigeon corps, like C-O-R-P-S, you mean, like an army yeah, corps? Yeah. yeah, right? Yep, yep. And um, we have two pigeons that have won the Dickon Medal, which is... The Dickon Medal was uh, introduced by Mrs. Maria Dickon, and it's the equivalent of the Victoria Cross for animals. So we've got two pigeons in Australia that have been awarded the Dickon Medal. Uh, one of those pigeons, I'll just tell you about a little bit about his mission. He was uh, on a ship that got into trouble between Papua New Guinea and um, Australia, and they had vital supplies on that ship. Uh, they were being attacked by the Japanese. They were actually um, bombed by the Japanese and um, the ship was in trouble. So they let the pigeon off and it uh, went through enemy gunfire. It got uh, wounded on the way through and it sent the vital message back to the mainland Australia where they could send um, ships and that to rescue this, this crew that was being attacked by the Japanese at the time. Amazing. So that was the easiest way of communicating? It was. Um, well, they did have radio communications there, but as we all know, electronics fail quite a lot. So um, the pigeon comes to the rescue when the electronics fail. Unbelievable. Um, and Plus, it's not traceable either. 
Well, yeah, that's right. You can't intercept it, can you? Well, you can, but well, once you, you can. Yeah, <laughs> you well, can't. The inter- Germans did. The yeah. Germans were intercepting it, and then later on, the Japanese started intercepting them. What they were doing, and they were training peregrine falcons to uh, intercept the birds on the way through, and they managed to catch a few pigeons on the way through, uh, but not a lot. So the falcons were deployed just to catch the pigeons, not to send messages yes. themselves. No, 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 no. Right. Won't send messages. Yeah. They're, kill- they're killers. They're not message senders. <laughs> They'll eat you. <laughs> They'll exactly eat you before right. they send you a message. Exactly right. Uh, at, at, what, at the peak of use of pigeons, what, uh, what kind of numbers are we talking about? During the war? Yeah. Oh, there would have been thousands of pigeons used. They had a station stationed in Papua New Guinea where they were training the birds. They had another station in Queensland uh, up in the Tablelands. Um, they had another station in New South Wales, and they had two stations in Melbourne. Wow. That's where they train, train the birds. So we'd be talking, oh, you'd be talking about thousands of birds. Incredible. And these birds were all donated at the time mm. from racing pigeon clubs around Australia. Oh, right. So these were already domesticated birds. They didn't have to take them no. out of the wild. No, 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 no. These were domesticated racing pigeon birds. Our first pigeon race here in Australia was recorded in Victoria in 1879, and it was a race from Kyneton to Melbourne. (laughs) Amazing. What kind of distances can the pigeons travel? Uh, We race all the way up to 1,200 kilometres, and and they usually are um, two-day races. And I've, I've, like, I've had a 500-mile race, which is about 1,000 kilometres, and I've had birds coming home in pitch-black darkness, and they, they managed to get home, even in the dark. How do they navigate? No one knows. That's the question. That, that's the $50 million question, because there are theories out there, and there's a lot of theories, but no one's come to the conclusion, well, that's what it is. How do you tell them where to go, then? You have to train them. So what you do is you breed birds uh, as babies. You put them in your, in your race loft. Uh, and then you wait for about three to four weeks. Then you let them out. They'll home around the house. Then when they're about three to four months old, you take them out on the road and you start training them. So you start at 10 kilometres and you take them up to 100, 150 kilometres before Mm. their first race. Unbelievable. If you're in wartime, it might not always be possible for them. I mean, I assume there are logistical impediments to to doing that training. So are there shortcuts? Mm. Ah, mm, uh, yeah, they were using a few shortcuts during the war that a few of the um, very experienced pigeon flyers at the time uh, suggested to the army, whereas they used to move the lofts around. So the lofts would be on wheels and they were training the birds to go from loft to loft, even if they moved them. So that's something that we don't do as pigeon racers now, but they managed to do it during the war. Unbelievable. And you said that um, the two Australian pigeons were awarded the Dickon Medal, the Victoria Correct. Cross, for, yes, uh, for yep. conspicuous gallantry or devotion to duty in Papua New Guinea. What had they done? What have they done? Well, what, they, what, yeah, they, those, they, those winners, like what did they do to win that? Well, the, I've told you about the first one, and, and the other one was the same sort of thing. It sent messages through when um, the, the, the ships and that were under um, heavy... Japanese fire at the time. Right, I see. I didn't. I didn't realise that was the same one that won the uh, that that won the. Well, award. both both birds were um, deployed to send messages about um, the um, ships and that that were in trouble at the time. So, if those pigeons didn't come through and send those messages, I don't know where we'd be. Well, that first one I told you about, they reckon the Japanese would have gone got through to invade Australia. 
if it wasn't for that pigeon. Unbelievable. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, how many pigeons have you got, Ivan? Me? I've got about 120. Amazing. Birds. Where do they yeah, all live? In the pigeon loft. <laughs> stupid. Ask a stupid question, get a stupid answer, I suppose. <laughs> in bed with me, Josh. Yeah, okay. Pigeon loft. Makes sense. In a pigeon loft. Well, it's built. It's like a little... Um, well, it's got an aviary on the front, and it's, it's like a little house, really, in the backyard. Mm. So, yeah, and the pigeons live in there, and they home to that. And, um, yeah, we've got races now all the way up to $150,000, and quite notable to say that the uh, a pigeon sold for 1.25 million euro last year. Get out. Who no, paid one point, Who paid 1.25 million euro for a pigeon? Uh, <laughs> an enthusiastic Chinese pigeon racer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in the wrong game. I should be breeding well, pigeons. Well, listen, mate, you should get in touch with these guys in Sydney that race pigeons, which is the Central Cumberland Pigeon Federation up there, right? Okay. Get in touch with them, and um, they'll put you in, in a couple of these races. Maybe you can race a couple of birds for charity or something. That would be a good idea. Fantastic. Yeah, I, Ivan. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that that you normally do is that you'd release your birds during Anzac Day dawn services. Uh, That's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. And so, we're doing it all over Australia. So all pigeon fancies in Australia, which I have now. I, I was very happy to go to my emails this afternoon and have a look at my emails. I've got 100% support from all clubs and federations of pigeon races in Australia. They will be letting their birds up all around Australia at uh, sunrise tomorrow morning for Anzac Day. Amazing. And because they can't go out to the to the services, will they be doing that from homes? From homes, yes. Fantastic. So they'll be letting their birds up from home. So hopefully, like where I live, there's about 30 flyers here. So we let all our birds up at the same time. These birds will all join up into one big cloud of pigeons. So it'll be something spectacular to watch as well. Great. So if you see some birds being released at dawn tomorrow... That's what it is. Ivan, great That's to talk to you. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for your time. See you got mate. it. That's Ivan Fonte, who's from Pigeon Radio Australia, about the history of pigeons in war. This is 88.3 Southern FM. And right now we have to break for the Southern FM National Radio News and we'll be back after the Southern FM National Radio News to do more on the pigeons at war. We've got some great interesting stuff, interviews with people that who have who were members of the Pigeon Corps and have recently passed away, but we still have their interviews in our archives and in the memories and to share with generations of pigeon fanciers and enthusiasts and people who want to know about the pigeons at war for many years to come. So stay tuned and we'll be back after the Southern FM National Radio News with more of the tributes of the racing pigeons at war. You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. Stop the pigeon, 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 how? Jab him, jab him, jab him. Stop that pigeon now! 
you're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. And you can catch us on the internet on the, for Southern FM via the internet on the web browser, which is www.southernfm.com.au. And you can join us at the Pigeon Radio Australia website at www.pigeonmedia.com.au. And right now, I have to bring in our Southeast correspondent. Introducing our Pigeon Radio Australia, Southeast Melbourne correspondent, the one and only, the Roadrunner. Tony McPherson. And I'm bringing in Tony McPherson to talk about this great character that served the Pigeon Corps in the war, Roy Eaton Cartledge, and he knows Roy, so let's bring him on, Tony McPherson. Anyway, um, we're we're just uh, I want to talk to Tony McPherson a little bit because you know you knew Roy Eaton. What's his name? Roy Eaton. He's got a big title. Anyway, he tells the the lady from the ABC off quite quite bluntly. He tells her, "My name is not just Roy. It's Roy Eaton something Cartledge." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Roy. Look, I first met Roy in 1983 when I um come back into racing pigeons. Um, I was uh, a member of the Southern Cross Eaters Vale. So um, Roy was uh, as as large as life. Um, he, um, in actual fact, he was the um, uh, the best French polisher in, in Australia, and really? he would tell you that as well. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, he he, he was um, just a lovely man. He loved his pigeons. Oh yeah, loved them to death. You loved can hear that death. in the interview how much he loved racing pigeons. Oh. Definitely, definitely. And as years went by and his health uh, deteriorated, um, he would just come along to any sales and just about buy all the birds. And um, I know um, (laughs) there was a few people that used to uh, wonder where they were going to put the birds. So um, I remember one day um, I I had strayed one of his pigeons and he asked me to bring it back to, to his place. And he lived not far away from Ian McKay's shop um, in Burwood there. So off I went and he said, now um, come around the side and um, just uh, knock on the door. So here am I, I'm knocking on the door, knock, (laughs) knock, 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 knock. And eventually Roy come out and, um, yeah, he he was as large as life. And he said, come on in, I want to have it. Because he was lonely too. He was on his own. He was on Mm. And um, so we sat down there and had a good old chin wag and everything else. He had his lovely little dog. And I said, Roy, what's all that noise I can hear? I can hear birds. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got them in every room of the house. (laughs) (laughs) So so he had birds birds stashed everywhere. I'll tell you what, I'm laughing um, because I've heard this interview. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Everybody will be absolutely captivated by this guy because uh, <laughs> look, um, if 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 you were having a sale, 
uh, and you, you, you'd always make sure that you invited Roy. Right, because uh, Roy would just about buy every pigeon, mm. and then he would. Uh, the you know, I remember Kenny Letcher, you know Ken, yeah, and, uh, and uh, Kenny would be the auctioneer, and he'd say, "Now, Roy, you bought that one," and he would say, "Did I? How much did I pay for that one?" <laughs> so, look, he loved his pigeons. Yeah, he loved life. He loved what he and did. And I tell you what, he, during the war, they moved him around quite a lot. He was in yeah, one minute, yeah. he was in Toowoomba. Next minute, he was in Melbourne. Next minute, he was in New South Wales. Somewhere, yeah. he was all around. Next minute, he was in Lay. They moved yeah. him around, I tell you. Yeah, look, he, like I said, <laughs> is his largest life. I uh, loved the beer. Loved the beer. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He loved the beer. And, um, you know, like I said, as um, time went by and uh, his health deteriorated a fair bit, but all of the members, all of his club members um, helped him out and um, he was a great benefactor for the uh, VHA. And, um, and he was a know, member of the... Um, very, very generous. He was a member of the Hawthorne Racing Pigeon Club. Yes, and yes. And he, he was living in Taronga Road. And he used to race from Taronga Road as well. Yes. Yep. That's it. Yeah. He's just a lovely, lovely man and uh, a bit of a character. Like um, every sport has its character. And uh, Roy definitely was one of them. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. You can hear that in this interview, mate. I'll tell you what. It's so. I didn't have. I had a, such a laugh when I was listening to it. But I'll tell you, everybody will have a laugh and they'll be captivated by it because it's quite an interesting interview. Yeah. Look, it's. Uh... <laughs> Like I said, um, I think everyone will be captivated by it. Um, it. It hasn't got a use-by date on this interview, that's no. for sure. <laughs> no. And, um, and uh, he's, um, and he's uh, quite a character. Yes, I think he's everyone will thoroughly enjoy it. I know that um, Ian McKay um, was a great, a great uh, friend of uh, Roy's as well. There was a lot of, a lot of people that knew Roy that. Um, uh, Ronnie Longstaff was one that used to look after Roy actually, mm. and um, and he'd take him to different sales and things like that, and and Roy be buying all these birds, and Ronnie would be saying, "Where are we going to put these, Roy? Where are we going to put them?" He said, "I don't know." <laughs> he said, "I don't know, Ron, but uh, you can take some home for yourself." So, <laughs> yeah, it uh, is the uh, largest life, largest life. Okay, um, well, what else, what else did he have, have to spend his money on? Yeah, well, he, he he just loved loved pigeons. Well, well, he served our country with the pigeons. So there you go. Yep, yep. And, right. and mind you, mm. he was a very astute pigeon man too. He was. Well, I'm I'm speaking with Roy Cartledge in Burwood on the twenty. 20- Roy, Roy Walter Eaton Cartledge. Roy Walter Eaton Cartledge. Thank you. And we're in Burwood on the twentieth uh, of July, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, I was just giving a date on that. Okay. Me birthday. When? What's your birthday, Roy? Twenty third September, nineteen thirteen. Oh, I mean, not. <laughs> so you're born in nineteen thirteen. How yeah. old does that make you? Eighty five in September. In September. Right. Okay. All right. Now, can you tell me when and why you joined the Pigeon Corps in the war? Yeah. Uh, I had. I've had pigeons since nineteen twenty two. I formed the Melbourne Juniors in 1922 and then I went into the Melbourne Seniors when I was 17 uh, when I was 17 in the Melbourne 
seniors in 1930, and then I've had pigeons ever since. Since, and then when when the war broke out, <laughs> I raised pigeons in in Stronger Road from 30 to 36. Then I got married. Oh, look over there. The Hilda, and we come up here from 36, and we've been here ever since. In 1936, Merton Street, Burwood. Now, when the war broke out, they wanted a single one, so I went. I joined up and went down to South Melbourne, Singleman, and Captain Captain Day was forming a pigeon unit. A nine os pigeon unit, and he wanted the boys from Victoria, and he selected 25 of us to go in the nine os pigeon section. And then we were there for 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 for, for about I can't quite remember, say about two months, and then I got put down to uh, Ballarat with Teddy Boothman. We had a loft up there in Ballarat for about a month and a half. And then from there I went down to Sorelden, uh, and we, I was there for about, we had lofts all over Victoria. And uh, I, went, I went down to Sorelden for about three months. Then I got transferred down to Orbis, down to another pigeon loft down there with Tommy Allslop of Geelong. And we were down there for about five months, and then. And what what were you doing in that time? We had lofts down there, and it connected all up all over Australia. The lofts did like, uh, we had pigeons there, and we had to train them. And Captain 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 Day and Captain Cornish, uh, no, not Captain Cornish, Captain Day and. Sergeant Webber used to come down and see us uh, and look at our books and that. We'd have to train our pigeons away, you know, for, for communications right through. And then from there, I got transferred up to uh, Bundaberg. And I, I, we had a pigeon loft at Bundaberg and I was there for about four months. And then... Captain Cornish, he was from Sydney, he, 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 he called in and said, you're going up to Townsville, right? I said, why? He said, well, you and I are going over to Port Moresby with, a, with the pigeons on board a Liberty ship uh, and we don't establish Ninos pigeon, like we're, what's the Ninos pigeon section, in Port Moresby. And then from, we got, we're the first two Captain Cornish and myself were the first two. We went into the Liberty ship. We took a loft up with pigeons, and we established pigeons there. And then, as the Japanese got driven further back, we went to, uh, where is it? I can't say. We went to, uh, we went by ship to Port Moors. We arrived in on the 24th and 2nd, 44. Uh, Captain Cornish. Three months later, he was flown to Wow, and took uh, 
15, 16 baskets on a on one of those transport planes, and I had to lift them up as well. And while I was there, I was there for about two months while the Japanese were bombing us, see? Couldn't get out there because we had lofts along the trail to bulldog, see? And then when, when, when we got rid of the Japanese, uh, I had to take to drop the bo- baskets off to three, three lofts on the trail to bulldog. That's how I got this hernia, carrying those heavy big baskets with 24 pigeons in, you know. I'd look after them. And then, then I... Then Captain Cornish come up in a plane and he said to Bulldog where I was. I ended up at Bulldog and he said, you better not go back in the plane. These, these Americans have been disqualified from flying. Uh, uh, you better come back by ship. So I got I got the ship back to Port Moresby, and then. Where, whereabouts was Bulldog? Pardon? Whereabouts was Bulldog? Bulldogs uh, on the trail from where to Bulldog over the trail. The trees are only about this high, and when the planes went through, they were like little pigeons, you know. That we were that high up. Anyway, then. Then, 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 uh, then, then I uh, uh, went to Lay and looked up. We got our own stock pigeons then. Before the chaps in Victoria would breed the pigeons and send them up to us, and we had to train them with a jeep. Before we went to went went to New Guinea on a trailer, so they. And we'd ship the trailer, and they'd find the lofts. Eh? Then I went to went to Lai, and then from Lai I went to uh, from Lai they put me into Bougainville, and then I, I was there for quite a while. And I went further up, and then I got a message from Captain Captain Day to say to come down to Lai. So I, you couldn't you had to fly. You couldn't uh, flew down to Lai. And he said, I've got a pigeon here, a Japanese pigeon, a blue bar cock, with a Japanese ring on. So <laughs> so he said, from Lai, take it down to Liberty Ship to Townsville and get the trains down to Spencer Street. <laughs> with this Japanese bird? Yeah, it, was a, it had a Japanese ring on its foot, a blue bar cock. The same type of pigeon of ours. We captured a lot of pigeons up there, see? And I had the pigeons as well, the Japanese. So, what happened? He, uh, so, this was when I was up there only a little while, you know, about three years. And Captain Cornish said, and Captain Day said, you've only got, uh, haven't been down. And Jeff was born, see? And I hadn't seen him, so they let me come down. So instead of going to Spencer Street, I come to Burwood Police Station and brought the pigeon here and took a photo of it. Uh, uh, Ronnie Longstaff seen a photo of, of the blue bar cock. And next morning, uh, I had all the... It was only a dirt road in front of, front of um, 
in a house here in Merton Street. I had all the colonels and that, and they'd have put me in Geelong Prison for not going down to Spencer Street, see? So they took the bird away, and they said, we'll have to see about this. I said, well, you'll have to come up to lay for me because I'm going back tonight, see? <laughs> so, and uh, so we went, we, we went, they said, well, we're done a taxidermist him, the, the cock, and put him in the war museum up at Canberra. And uh, so that's, that's what happened. Did this, did this bird have a message? Oh, I couldn't tell you. That, most likely they took the message off the Japanese. Mm. But while I was up there before, when I went back there, we, we supplied from, I, I was stationed at Bougainville and we supplied a, a battalion with, with two pigeons. And uh, this is the, uh, and the wildest chap said, we don't want, we don't want to, uh, we don't want the pigeons and we'll eat them. And the captain said, no you won't. So they went out on patrol and the wildest mate got a message said three to say that they were getting uh, bombed by the Japanese, see? And, well, he got killed and they let two pigeons go and one come down to our lofts, see? And uh, they got in touch with the Americans and the Americans bombed the Japanese and, and the battalion got out, see? And I believe... Early on, there was a chap, I forget his name, but used to breed the pigeons before we had stock pigeons up at Lay, when we bred our own up there in the army at Lay. He sent pigeons up there and he turned around and let, he got a, equivalent to a BC, a chap in someone in Ivanhoe, I, I really forget his name now, it's such a long time ago, but he got, a pigeon got a, a BC equivalent to the, to the BC. Now is this the, the bloke or the pigeon? Pardon? Was this the pigeon or the man? The pigeon? Oh, he wasn't up there, he's down there breeding pigeons, see? But he, he, he bred them and sent them up, that's what I was told up there, but I know for sure that I gave two pigeons, signalled them myself, gave two pigeons to to this battalion that got bobbed down and, and the wildest chap he got killed and he sent them home and we got them like in the lofts and then the Japanese, uh, Americans uh, bombed the Japanese. Now, for you as as a pigeon man, this must have been the best way you could have um, served your country to be involved with yeah, pigeons, well, which was your hobby and sport. You must have had a great yeah, time. Well, see, we were attached to the signals down in South Melbourne, and they formed the not only not only in Victoria, but in South Australia, West Australia, Sydney, and that, and they picked out the pigeon men. For the nine, not only the nine horse pigeon section was there, there was other sections in there as well, like Queensland and Brisbane, 
uh, no, Queensland and uh, West Australia, Sydney and all that, see. But uh, we went up on this side of the island, on the vagabond side. Wow, bulldog and fly. And then that, that, that's all I can tell you. Well, what, what were your day-to-day duties while you were in oh, New Guinea with the pigeons? Union, taking them out and throwing them around the locks and taking them out and tossing them and like exactly what what we're doing here in Melbourne, like in Victoria, before we went over. That was our training, really. When I was at Ballarat, Norvest, and and uh, you know, like the different lots. Was were there difficulties when you were in New Guinea in keeping the birds? Were there, was it difficult in New Guinea to keep the birds in top flying condition? Oh, yes, yeah, sometimes you couldn't let them out. It was bad. Even the planes couldn't lob up there. It was that bad. But they'd done a good job up there. Very, very good job. And that pigeon, I believe, is in the War Museum at Canberra. Uh, Canberra War Museum. And Ronnie, Ronnie Longstaff told you that he took a photo of it, didn't he? And I had a photo and I've only got a few photos left. Tell me more about the way the pigeons were used in the war. Well, that's the way they were used. They were sent out on patrols. And then then if they got bogged down with the Japanese, they were let go. See? But we had to train them every day. Oh, I just train them like we train them down, down here in Victoria now. And I only selected the chappies that uh, had pigeons, but knew all about pigeons. That's, that's, that's then the war finished, and I had 24 Japanese at Port Moresby cutting conine grass. <laughs> you, had to, you had to be careful, you had to have your rifle loaded all the time. And uh, that's a long time ago, 50 odd year ago. Now, when, when you were in New Guinea with the Pigeon Corps, did you have any races? Did you race the pigeons that you had up there? No, no, no. We weren't in Argentina. <laughs> I've been in the game since 1922. How long is that? Long time, isn't it, Ed? So why not? Why couldn't you race them up there? Well, we were in the army. We couldn't. We had to train them for the... Uh, for them to go out on patrols with the with the patrols. Mm. Oh no, you couldn't you couldn't raise pigeons up there. So there's a clock there that costs a thousand dollars. You clock them in. You could. Oh no, <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't go out. Why were pigeons better than other forms of communication than wireless communication? Oh, they had wireless and everything. But if I went out on the patrol, I'd take a couple of birds with them, eh? I went further up than Bogomol, but I really forget the place now. And they put me on the end of the tent in case the Japanese, the Japanese were there and come in, I'd be the first one to get it. Because <laughs> I, I, I wasn't in their unit, I was in the nine-off pigeon section, see? But, uh, what, what was the attitude of the rest of the army to the Pigeon Corps? Oh, they, they, they didn't, didn't care. They, they were happy. 
And I think I think there's one still alive, and they're in the nine-ass pigeon section. I don't know. I wish you'd get in touch with me. One one other chap who's alive yeah, still. Captain Cornish, Captain Day, Sergeant Weber, Sergeant Rainer, and all slop, and all my mates are all gone. So Captain Cornish is gone? Yeah, well, they're old now. See, I should be gone. I'm 80, nearly 85. I should be gone too. <laughs> When you when you were up there in in New Guinea, particularly when you started once you started breeding the pigeons, did you experiment with the breeding because of the tropical conditions? When you're in New Guinea, did you experiment at lay? At lay, we, we did, established established a lot uh, uh, like a stock lot, what we call a stock lot. So we've got a stock lot down here now. We breed the pigeons, but we race. We breed every year off the stock birds. See. Yeah. Did you have to breed different types of birds being in the no, tropics? No, just the same type, just the same same type of pigeon what we race in now. No different, no different at all. I think they were better there than now. <laughs> Don't you see, Ryan? They were good pigeons in the old days. Why, why do you think they were better then than now? Well... Now there's more flies, and they fly. In the olden days, we only used to put ten in a race. Hey, there's about how many clubs have we got in the in, in the Victorian Home Association? About how many? About twenty. Hey, in the olden days, we only had about ten, and you'd only race about ten pigeons. But now they put a hundred in a race now. You know what I mean? It's all different altogether. It's just like an old Ford to a to one of the new Fords, see? Mm. But uh, I reckon the old pigeons were the best. Of course, they all come out in England in 18, 1806 and 1801. They're all, all, all coming out from England. The English chaps settled there and that's how the pigeons got started in Victoria. Tell me, what was your rank in the army? Corporal. I'd only been made a sergeant five days before the before the uh, before it ended, and I never got to it. I didn't care. So, what happened to the pigeons at the end of the war? Oh, they brought them all home, and just they, I think I think Captain Captain Day got a lot of them and kept the best of them for himself for stock. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sure, but I didn't know what because Hilda was still racing pigeons while I was up in the islands. She was a better pigeon fancy than me or anyone. Oh yeah, the women makes a better, a better pigeon fancy than a, a man. Why is that? Well. They don't move so much, and I think a bit of scent on them or something. I couldn't tell you, but that is true, isn't that Ian? True. I'm not joking. Every every chap down the BHA now, and we've got all how many members we've got? Four hundred to five hundred, and the chappies with wives are interested in pigeons. They they think that's why I was so good, and but Hilda was better than me. They reckon Hilda was a better pigeon fancier than me. And there's Mr. Wojak with his wife. He's one of the best flyers. Oh, and and uh, Mount Joy with his wife. Oh, like all the chappies 
with their wives or interests and then they're always together and everything and I think and they don't move so fast as a, a bloke my friend Ronnie Longstaff when a pigeon comes home he's that excited <laughs> if there was a tin in the yard he'd kick it and the fire would fly off you have to clock them straight away and those, uh, even now it's the only sport in the world that you breed your own pigeons uh, own animals and race them. The race horses are bred by a chap and a millionaire will buy them and there's the jockeys and everyone. But in the pigeon world, we've got our own stock pigeons, we breed our own pigeons and we turn around and if, when they come home and they fly around more than one circle, we lose the race. You can't swab them, you can't... You can't you know what I mean? It's, it's the only sport in the world that you that, that stink them. That's true, isn't it? Ian? So after the war, you came back here and did you take up racing pigeons again? Oh yeah, I've been haven't I? I've been it all the time since 1922. And I won my first derby at 17 when I was 17 year old, and I should have been 18 in Melbourne. So I win these cups. All these cups there, yeah. Yeah, here's the cup from 1930 when you were grand champ. Yeah, yeah. lovely little cup. I got. I've won, won two derbies of produce and a 500 mile and national with other feds as well. Oh yeah, mm. I'm one of the worst stars in the VHA. I don't I? Ed? <laughs> <laughs> I got ten feathers a little while ago. All right. All the diplomas. Yeah. I brought the diplomas down in the in the hall of flame down the VHA. I got some up at your place too, haven't I? Yeah? These are the diplomas you get when you get in the feds. All right. okay. When everyone flies against each other, when the five hundred chappies fly against each other. So tell me more about when you're in the Pigeon Corps. It must have been a great experience for you being a pigeon man. Oh, yeah, it was, it was good. It wouldn't have been any good in anything else, would I? Because I, I didn't know. No, I was lucky to get in it. All right. But uh, they're, all, they're all our mates. We, we knew all each other and everyone. And... Uh, it was a grudge. I was in there for quite a while, so what else have we got here? Nothing I don't think. Well, it must have been, yeah, I mean, as you say, it must have been um, oh, well, I mean, it was a special experience. The ship from towns will arrive in there, and he said he went while well, trying to make <laughs> Well, tell me about that. So, yeah, tell me about that, Roy. Yeah, well, when I, we used to give them only two pigeons, I, I used to put them in a small basket and have them strapped on their backs. They're only oh sorry, they're only about this size a basket, just enough for like them over there, like. So this was when when chaps went out on patrols, right, they'd have yeah, the basket yeah, with yeah, two birds. Yeah. When they went out with a battalion or or a company or that, they'd turn around and take the birds with them. And it was your job to have the birds ready. ready? For... Oh, yeah, and it was our job to be waiting at the loft in case the birds come home. I was always there, was always in the loft or sitting outside 
wait all the time. We wish them all the time and never went anywhere else. And when, when a bird came back, was it you who took the message? Yeah, I took the message. We'd have little cylinders, little cylinders about this size, and it'd fit on their leg. And then you just take it off and open it up and it'd tell you what they want. And what were some of the messages you got? Oh, just, you know, that we're all right or that everything's going or we're getting pinned down by the Japanese and put the... Uh, they had codes in those days. They put the codes where the battalion was or something. You know, we were, that's what they used to do. So what would you do with the message once you got it? Oh, we'd give it to the Captain Cordish or Captain Day. They know what to do with it. I'd take straight to the, you know, the other, the head, you know, the the, the uh, colonels and that. And they, well, they, they know what to do then. We don't have any more to do with it once we give them the message. And tell me more about the sort of training that you did with the pigeons when you were there. Yeah, well, when we got to a place where you could train them, we had a jeep with a loft up the lock behind it, only a small lock, but it holds about 20 pigeons. And then we'd turn around and go 10 miles, fly them around the roof, what we call flying around the roof, for a couple of days, and then we'd shift the loft about five miles to make the pigeons uh, come to the loft. And they would that feed them in one and water them in the other. You see what I mean? And then they got used to coming to... to yeah, you, know, you could ship the loft anywhere you like. And the pigeons would always come to it? Yeah. That's what we used to do. But we couldn't do it much up there because you, aeroplanes couldn't fly. You, you, could, you had to go by aeroplane. That was some of the training before we went there, see? But, uh, oh, they've done a good job up there, the pigeons. They wouldn't have pigeons now. Why not? <laughs> Down they put a bomb over here now and we'd be finished. <laughs> I wouldn't have pigeons in there. Uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about the First World War, but they, I believe the pigeons done a good job in the First World War. Uh, they use them in England now for messages. The post offices do. Isn't that right, Ian, or something? They're still the the post office in England is still yeah, using them. A special message sent from one place to another. They put a pigeon in, but it's been trained to that to the loft where it has to go. To. Isn't that right, England? In England. So why do pigeons home, Roy? You ask me, and I'll tell you. No one can tell you. Is that right, Ian? If you can tell me. I've been at how long? 22 years to now. How long is that? Since um, 1922, so that's what, uh, 76 years you've been involved? Still don't know. I think there's something in their head, isn't there? What do you re- No, no one can tell you. Even the old chappies that I used to know when I come out from England in 18, 1806 and 18, Mr Lyons, he come out in 1802, he couldn't tell me. And he come out from England, and, he, and I can't tell you. No one can tell you. There must be something in there, in here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, well. 
right. Well, look, I won't keep you much longer because. Um, but tell me, how do you look back on your war years now? Those war years with the Pigeon Corps. Very bad. How do you look back on it? Do you have? Oh well, <laughs> I wish the war hadn't hadn't, hadn't been, but. Uh, I was, ho- I was happy to get into something that I knew something about. It was, and it was all my mates. I knew a lot of them. They were all good fellows, weren't they? A whole lot of them. So, all good pigeon men. Oh yeah, they they selected twenty four. I think it was twenty four or twenty five. Ernie Weber is a good pigeon man, and uh, Ricky Rayner is a good pigeon man. All slop. And all those chappies, they're all good pigeon men. I don't know, uh, uh, Lieutenant Hallman, you remember Hallman? You don't remember Hallman. He was a good pigeon pants, yeah? I don't know about Captain Day. I don't know, I, he used to find a BPU in those days. Uh, and I don't know about him, but Captain Cornish from Sydney, he was one of the best pigeon pants in Sydney, wasn't he, Ian? A very, very good pigeon man. All right. Well, Roy Cartledge, thank you very much for speaking with me. (laughs) That's all right. And on Radio National, this is The Sports Factor. I'm Amanda Smith. You're listening to 88.3 Southern FM. And uh, we're going to continue on right away with uh, the rest of the program with the tribute to the pigeons at war. And uh, I'd like to highlight this interview and highlight an excerpt from the interview. The, the whole interview goes for <laughs> nearly an hour, and so we haven't got time to play the whole interview, but I am going to play this excerpt of the interview where we had the opportunity to speak with the last remaining member of the Australian Pigeon Corps, and we did this interview in 2014 while we were still at um, Sunbury Radio, um, Mr Keith Wrightson who was still a member of the Central Cumberland Pigeon Federation in Sydney. I'd like to say goodbye to everybody and I hope you enjoyed the, the uh, program today with our special tribute to the Australian Pigeons of War. I joined the Army in the end of 1941. OK. And uh, initially I was accepted in the engineers and I was associated with two mates that Mm -hmm. joined up with me but we in turn were uh, doing our basic training in army routine Mm -hmm. and it wasn't very long before we got a message that there was being formed uh, a signal corps Pigeon unit. Okay. And the man that was enlisted to organise that was a fellow named Bert Cornish. Okay. He, he was pulled in off the civilian street because he was an administrator of all things pigeon at the time. Okay. Uh, he was uh, given the rank of uh, captain. Mm hmm. And the experts that uh, were organising the army said, we'll give you 40 men, you can train them, and we'll have a pigeon corps. 
Bert Cornish said, that's a ridiculous order <laughs> because I would only need personnel who have previously had the association of racing their pigeons and training them uh-huh. and knowing everything about pigeons. And they sent out a memo to enlist anyone that was associated in pre-war days in the training of pigeons. And that's when I was called into the Army Pigeon Corps mm-hmm. in 1942. Okay. Now, and yeah. uh, Bert Cornish uh, was able to enlist personnel with that experience because he said if they gave him people that's only a experience would be with feeding scraps to the feral pigeons in the park mm. he said he's mm. not going to accept the honor of being associated mm-hmm. but they gave it into him the powers that be and they said you enlist the personnel that you require and we'll take it from there mm-hmm. and that is when uh, they called for theatre of warfare. Mm, mm, mm. And they went on and progressed to turning the Japs back at Buna, Salamoa, uh, and points halfway up the northwestern coast. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Pigeon Corps came in. They followed the progress of the army that were defeating the Japs, mm-hmm. and they were sending messages back to headquarters. Uh, with every time that they advanced, they would let the headquarters know what was ahead of them mm. as far as opposition from the Japanese army was concerned and it was right along that northwest coast of New Guinea that they were established what they call mobile lofts okay. and the mobile loft consisted, consisted of 30 birds uh, a corporal and an offsider and they would progressively advance with their loft as the army pushed the Japs back Mm -hmm. until they got to the stage where they had reached uh, uh, bordering on to lay. Okay. In the meantime, the personnel who were uh, in Port Moresby were assigned the task of assisting the engineers Mm -hmm. that were building a jeep track over the Owen Stanleys as an alternate to the uh, track, the Kokoda track. Mm -hmm. And it was necessary to have an alternative scoop route just in case they had a reverse and wanted the troops to have 
an escape route to get back to Port Moresby. Mm-hmm. The birds that assisted there were very valuable in assisting the engineers that were advancing and building this roadway over the mountains. Mm. And the, the weather conditions were such that uh, they would have uh, landslides and uh, blockages occurring every day. Mm-hmm. And they had pigeon lofts uh, set up as the track progressed. Mm. And it would advise them of the possibility of uh, a landslide ahead and they eventually got the roadway over the Owen Stanley Ranges and into Lay. And Lay was where they set up their breeding establishment. They were breeding local birds that would be in service at about 12 or 14 weeks old. They'd be intensely trained to carry their messages for short distances until they became experienced, and then they would be sent out on patrols, which would be venturing out into the enemy territory and sending uh, messages back to advise them as to what ex- what to expect ahead. Mm. And it was men of the caliber of uh, Billy Dalt, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Clark, who would be the the father of the current Kevin Clark. Kevin Clark. Yep, yep. Um, we had the support of Frank Par- Patterson, mm-hmm. uh, Jack Harrison, mm-hmm. and from uh, South Australia we had Vin Blandon. Okay. Bruce Balderstone, mm-hmm. and always in the background, we had for publicity purposes the famous Bill Laurie. Oh, really? Bill Laurie would always stand up and support anything for the betterment of pigeons. Unbelievably good. And he was a wonderful support there. Oh, fantastic. And we went on and we. Uh, we were uh, eventually supported by the hierarchy that the deeds that had been carried out were worthy of two Dickon medals. Yeah. The Dickon medal is the equivalent of the uh, VC that's awarded to members of the fighting forces. Mm-hmm. In the war years, there were only five Dickon medals awarded, three of them to the overseas uh, Pigeons. Uh, forces, yep. and two to, for the Army Pigeon Corps. Oh, excellent. The first Pigeon was awarded the Dickon Medal, the equivalent of the VC, for sending a message 
from a boat that was uh, being swamped in heavy seas, their motor had cut out, they had no, no chance of starting the motor and were being washed ashore. Uh-huh. Uh, fortunately, they had a pair of pigeons on board. They sent a message back to uh, Oro Bay and they requested assistance to get help to uh, try and relieve the tension of the ship that was foundering. Mm. Within an hour, they had assistance there. They saved the ship. Mm-hmm. They saved the the men aboard, and more importantly, they saved the important cargo that they were carrying, and the award was made. Mm. Later in the war, a second award was made because... Our troops were seconded to the American forces who had joined in that section of the war, Mm -hmm. and 200 of their men were pinned down and were not able to defend themselves. The... uh, What's the... The patrols that had been out realised that they couldn't compete against the uh, Japanese forces that surrounded them, Mm -hmm. and all they had was a pair of pigeons to send for help. Mm. The uh, uh, what's-her-names were raining down. Yeah. Mortars and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, gunfire. Yeah, heavy artillery fire. Yeah. And anyway, they requested that I have assistance to try and break up the surround of Japanese. Mm. They they got uh, air force assistance to disband the uh, Japanese forces. Mm. And 200 men were saved by a message carried by by the Australian Pigeon Force. Unbelievably good. They were greatly uh, commended for that, and they in turn awarded the second uh, Dickon Medal, and uh, he... Uh, was able to relieve those men that were uh, pinned down prior to that. Mm, mm. Uh, we then, in turn, established ourselves in Lai, where they bred the birds, trained trained them to the mobile lofts to follow forward the action towards. Finchhaven and Weewak, mm. and that's going north. Uh, they needed an additional officer to uh, manage the forward troops, and I was sent to an officer's school down at Seymour, 
mm-hmm. in Victoria. Oh, really? And I did the same officer's course as Diver Derrick. Okay. He was awarded the VC in his own right for deeds that he had done. And he went back to his own unit, which was an exceptional move because generally once a a sergeant had been promoted to officer, he had to go to another unit Mm. where he wasn't so well-known and friendly with the personnel that he had to order to do do the deeds Mm -hmm. that he was prepared to do himself. Mm. But he, in turn, was defending uh, against uh, special troops that were embedded in Finchhaven. He exposed himself to un usual fire from the uh, enemy and he lost his life in the Finchhaven battle. And it was with that battle that they sent a message that they were terribly short of uh, these these are the the men that were doing the the repairs and uh, trying to save personnel that were wounded. Mm. They wanted supplies of blood plasma. Mm. And the the boat that was carrying the blood plasma yep. between Ley and Finchhaven was being pressed to de- deliver the blood in time to save personnel who were mortally wounded, mm. casualties from gunfire and things of that type. Yep. But we, we had lost VC winner Nidaric in the, uh, the operation. Yeah. And the boats carrying the blood plasma made urgent uh, running to get the blood to to the uh, people who were doing the uh, repairs uh, up, up in uh, Finchhaven.